Radio. I hear all these idiots and fools and jackasses on radio. What an introduction that was. Holy God. Oh my gosh. Nobody does it better. Kids, we don't want another incident here, okay? Yeah. It's such a bizarre world. I apologize for that. All right, go, go. It's like a child that comes in with mud on their pants or something. It, that's the way it is. This is Ed McMahon. And now, he is Armstrong and Getty. Getty. Thanks for tuning in the Armstrong and Getty Show. John Phillips is filling in for us today. He's a good dude. Be nice to him. Loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, but then they're going to take me back later today at noon for my regular show on KABC. There's a term for that, but I don't want to start the morning out offending Elizabeth Warren, so we're just going to go ahead and leave that alone. We've got a big show for you today. Coming up later on in the program, Ann Coulter, the one and only, is going to stop by. Dr. Kelly Victory, who's a trauma surgeon and mass casualty expert, will tell us why the lockdowns don't work and we need to open up the economy pronto. And we're going to speak to Bobby Chacon, who's a former FBI Special agent, he's going to tell us how to cook Susan Rice. I'll give you a little little hint. It takes salt, garlic, onion, and a pinch of Rick Rennell. So that's coming up later on in the program. I'm broadcasting live in exile from my living room in Palm Springs, California, because as you know very well, the state of California is shut down. And it's time to open it up. Just like it's time to open up Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and the rest of the country. We've seen data come out recently from a J.P. Morgan study that looked at this. And it looked at it from a very sober point of view because bankers are sober. Well, not all bankers are sober, especially during the 80s, but we'll leave that one alone too. And what J.P. Morgan found in their study for their investors is that there's no correlation at all between when a state shut down or a state's shutdown policy and fewer deaths, fewer hospitalizations. In fact, they found out that states that opened up earlier did better when it came to death and hospitalization. And it's not just comparing the states to one another where they found this to be true. They found it globally when they looked around the world and they looked at the various policies that the countries had, there again was no correlation between a draconian shutdown order and saving lives and preventing hospitalizations. So it's high time that this country open up. And those facts and that reality is something that is increasingly becoming undeniable. And different... Politicians, different media personalities, different doctors, both real and fake, we'll get into that later on, have different motivations for wanting to shut things down indefinitely. For one, if you're a politician, there's less risk. If you shut down your economy and things end up okay and you destroy the economy in the process, you can step back at the end and say, but see, I saved lives. And there's no way to prove that. There's no way to quantify it. You're relying on your voters, your constituents to assume that you were good-natured about your decision, and you probably were. I'll grant you that. 
But for those politicians who came out and said, this is crazy, the data does not prove that shutting everything down will help us prevent lives, and they were the first to dip their toe in the water at opening up, there was a public punishment for these people. They took a flogging on the cable news channels and in the major newspapers. At least the Republicans and Independents did. Look at how they talked about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is, by the way, in my opinion, going to be a nominee for president sometime in the future. That guy is just doing gangbusters. Or the governor of Georgia, Governor Kemp. Or even the mayor of Las Vegas, Carolyn Goodman, who was the first one to take a public beating on Anderson Cooper when he treated her, talked down to her, by the way, and treated her like she was some sort of mad scientist wanting to experiment on her own constituents. But as time goes on, a funny thing is going to happen. These politicians are going to be proven to be right. It's already happening with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And the newspapers are just dragging their feet doing everything they possibly can to not give them credit. Well, we don't have enough time yet. The spike still could come. There could be a second wave. And the mainstream media, honest to God, is starting to sound like one of these end-of-times religious cults. One of my friends growing up, her she came from a very religious family, very religious family. Her father was a preacher, and mom taught Bible study. And they dabbled in things that were kind of out there at times. Not always, but they did at times. And as soon as they got the Internet, man, her mom was all about these end-of-times prophecies. And I would hear these stories, and you'd go over there, and she'd have the electric bill sitting on the kitchen counter because there was no need to pay it because the bill was due on the 1st and the world was ending on the 27th. So no check was put in the mail. And you talk to her about it, you go, you know, I don't necessarily think that's true and it's going to happen. And she spoke with great certainty, great certainty, that the world was going to end. And then the day would come and it would go, and the world, in fact, did not end. And then you'd see her the following day. And you'd say, hey, how about that end of the world? And she'd say, well, there was a rounding error. There was a problem with the math equation. It's not going to end this Tuesday. It's going to end six months from Tuesday. And she would just move on to the next one like nothing happened. And that's what these models are doing. And that's what the media is doing. They won't give anyone credit for being right. They can't admit that they were wrong. So what they do is they just move the goalposts. They just say, well, wait, just wait. That spike is coming two weeks from now. That spike is coming this fall when the second wave hits. That's when the hospitals are going to be overrun all over the country, starting in Texas, starting in Florida, starting in Georgia. If the mayor of Las Vegas gets her way, it's going to happen there too. You just wait. And when that doesn't happen... Well, there's going to be a third wave. They think this thing has more waves in the Pacific Ocean. 
and they just move on to the next one. And what will happen, in my estimation, is this thing will end with a whimper and not a bang. When it gets to the point to where these indefinite lockdowns become a totally indefensible position, and they have to reconcile the fact that the lockdowns destroyed the economy but didn't necessarily prevent people from losing their lives. They'll just find whatever the next scandal is or perceived scandal and just latch on to that. We saw that happen with the Russia collusion hoax, where that was all they wanted to talk about. You turn it on TV, it's Russia, 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 Russia for how many years? I thought I was watching Rocky and Bullwinkle. And then when that ended without collusion being proven, because it didn't happen, man, they moved on to this virus. You have to lock everything down, otherwise you want to kill your population off. And when that turns out not to be true, I don't know. They'll find collusion with some other government. But what a time. And this governor, I'm telling you, keep your eye on this Ron DeSantis out of Florida. He was leaving the White House yesterday. I don't know if you saw this clip. This got some play on cable news last night. He's leaving the White House. And the White House, for whatever reason, has become Craig's on TMZ. No one ever leaves the White House without just getting in the car and driving away. You're leaving the White House and you got the paparazzi screaming questions at you. So Ron DeSantis has a plane to catch. And he's leaving the White House. And the media decides that they're going to ask him about Florida opening up first. And he wasn't having it. He came to kick tail and chew gum and he was all out of gum. So let's go ahead and listen to Ron DeSantis and the media. Cut 31, please. Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who wax poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. All right, and here he is lowering the boom. Cut 32. Not only do we have a lower death rate, well, we have way lower deaths generally, we have a lower death rate than the Acela Corridor, D.C., everyone up there. We have a lower death rate than the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. But even in our region, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida has the lower death rate. And I was the number one landing spot from tens of thousands of people leaving the number one hot zone in the world to come to my state. So we've succeeded, and I think that people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative, it challenges their assumption, so they got to try to find a boogeyman. Maybe it's that there are black helicopters circling the Department of Health. If you believe that, um, i got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. Last question. I'm telling you, this guy is going to be president someday. He is not backing down, and I love every minute of it. All right, it's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty.
Hey, Positive Sean here. Armstrong and Getty getting an early start on their Memorial Day weekend. Doing the job of two men, however, is John Phillips taking over. John, how you doing? I'm good. Now, I have a question for you, Positive Sean. Yes, John. When was it that you got your nickname? Uh, it was actually when I first started working on this show. Um, I was kind of a, uh, a weekender part-timer uh, roaming around the, the radio ranch doing various things for the for the company. Uh, they had a, a position open up, and I wasn't even – I was just kind of the temporary placeholder while they did another search for it. And I was very much in first date mode, right, where no matter what happened, oh, no, that's great. Oh, yeah, we can do that. This is fantastic, right? And, and a lot of my interactions with them happened before they had their first cup of coffee. So they just couldn't take that sort of upbeat attitude that early in the morning. So they just kind of dismissively started calling me Positive Sean. Uh, it, it stuck. I checked Twitter. It was an available handle. So I, I, I just embraced it. Now, I have a question for you because this is, of course, a name that's that's fitting for someone with a, a good disposition who looks at the rosy side of things, who's an optimist. But if you're ordering a Starbucks and you're waiting for your tall, non-fat, extra hot latte, and the pandemic has hit California and the rest of the world, and they call out your name, Positive Sean, and you cough, how do people look at you? Oh, coughing is just met with uh, immediate side eyes at this point in, the, <laughs> in our lives for, for understandable reasons. But I, I tend to be, uh, when I'm out and about in, in gathered areas, I tend to be wearing a mask anyway. So hopefully that would okay. uh, save me some of the looks. Well, when I hear positive, Sean, I think to myself that you've been swabbed. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I should, I should make a, a distinction that it, this is not a, uh, a, a diagnosis of any sort of medical nature. This is simply a commentary on my personality. You haven't taken any vacations to Wuhan anytime soon. No, no, not, no not as of yet. No, I'm an avid indoorsman. I vacation in my apartment. Now, yesterday, I was, I was out doing some grocery shopping. It's very hot here in Palm Springs, California. It's going to be triple digits next week. It was triple digits last week, and it's, it's cooled down. It's only in the 90s this week. So I buy lots of ice. So I'm constantly going to the grocery store to buy more ice because I don't like the taste of the ice from the ice machine from the refrigerator and the freezer. So I'm out buying ice, and I see this guy who had to be in his 70s, and he had the full mask on. He looked like he was getting paged for surgery. And he had something that was pinned to his shirt like he would work at the store. And, hi, my name is fill-in-the-blank. And I looked at the at the the piece of paper that was pinned to his shirt, and it was his test results. Oh, wow. He wanted the world to know that he didn't have coronavirus. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, maybe at some point this guy will be like, the back of a of a Ford Taurus, like a '96 Ford Taurus, where you have 65 bumper stickers on the back. You know, you know who's that the driver voted for in every election, going back to '84. Right. I wonder if every time he tests positive for a different virus or negative, rather, uh, he's just going to pin it to a shirt. And he's just going to end up looking like a NASCAR. Yeah, it's somewhat like the. Uh, the college parking passes where you don't remove them you just kind of stack them up the windshield as the the more as the semesters add up it could be a new fashion trend strange world we live in i'll tell you you learn a lot about yourself going through this pandemic being stuck at home and one of the things that i learned about myself in this entire process is i am a complete voyeur when it comes to real estate porn because all of these people on cable they're doing hits from their homes 
and you can see their kitchens in the background. Sometimes you can see their living rooms. Sometimes, like Chris Cuomo's in his basement. And you quickly find out who lives in a really nice house and is doing well for themselves and who got screwed in their contract negotiation. You also learn who has taste and who doesn't. There are some of these homes that look like they came straight out of a magazine. And then some of these hosts, they're doing, they're doing hits from their house and you see the, the dogs playing poker in the background. I always used to get nervous. I used to work for CNN. And for regular CNN, they'd pay for a studio, a satellite studio to rent. But if you did HLN or you did CNN International and they didn't have the budget, you had to do it from home. So I was always worried whenever I was on that people would figure out that I have horrible taste and maybe Amazon would be delivering a package or something. So we'll be watching cable news personalities broadcast from their house for some time to come. Uh, I, for one, enjoy seeing just exactly where they live. All right, we got a big show for you. We've got Ann Coulter coming up. We've got Dr. Kelly Victory to weigh in on the coronavirus and much, much more. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. We appreciate John Phillips filling in for us today on the Armstrong and Getty Show. We will be back sooner or later. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, where you can listen to me each weekday from noon to 3. Follow me on Twitter at Johnny Don't Like. I also write a newspaper column for the L.A. Daily News and the Orange County Register, which you can get online today at dailynews.com and ocregister.com. Well, I don't know if you saw Hannity last night. I was flipping through the channels, and I was looking at Hannity. And when I saw Hannity last night, Mark Cuban was on. Mark Cuban, of course, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And for whatever reason, every interview that Mark Cuban does, he looks like he just got off a bender. Have you noticed that? These owners, they typically show up presenting themselves in a certain way. Although here in Los Angeles, we have some eccentric owners. Uh, Donald Sterling for the Clippers comes to mind. He always used to go on TV dressed like an aging pornographer. Wearing the dark sunglasses and the shirt unbuttoned down to his navel. But Mark Cuban was on Hannity last night wearing a T-shirt. And Mark Cuban decided to say that the NBA season should begin, and it should begin without fans. Let's go ahead and listen to Mark Cuban, Cut 14. We've played games outside before, so you're in the right direction there. It's obviously a lot safer to do it outside. I'm not as big a fan as the temperature check because if you just eat three quick um, extra-strength Tylenol, you can beat those tests. But we, we're getting to that point, Sean, where we're going to be able to do some testing and hopefully be able to play games. I don't think we're ready for fans yet, but let us take that first step. Now, they're just... Seems like there's something wrong with that to me. Playing NBA games in front of empty arenas? I mean, maybe they can take some notes from the Chargers. 
so they can figure out how that's going to work. But there's something about the whole experience of following a sports team and looking at packed audiences, looking at packed crowds, and that bringing a certain energy to the game. How often do teams get new stadiums in part? Well, they want the luxury boxes and all the revenue that comes with that. But they also want the crowd on top of the game because that adds to the whole experience. It makes it feel like it's a playoff sort of atmosphere, even if the game is going on in the middle of the season. In Seattle, the old kingdom was scrapped in part because it was like playing in a catacomb. Couldn't hear anything. It was dark. If the fans were there going nuts, you could be watching it on, on TV and not even know. The same thing is true with a lot of these big stadiums. Same thing was true with the old Tiger Stadium in Detroit, where that thing was just absolutely huge. And they decided that smaller was better, but keep it packed. You want people there. And if you have all of these games, whether it be Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, what have you, in front of empty stadiums or empty arenas, it's going to take all the fun out of it. Think about when you're on vacation and you're walking the streets of whatever city it is that you happen to be in, and you're looking for a restaurant to go into. If you're like me, you do virtually no research. I always just go into it cold. I'd like to say it's because I want to take it all in and figure it out for myself, but I'm just lazy. But I recently went on a vacation to Sydney, Australia, and various cities in New Zealand. It was on a cruise. And I'd never been to Sydney before. And so I was just hanging out in the populated part of town, and I just walked it. And I would look into the various restaurants, cafes, bistro, what what have you, and I would determine which one I would try based on who had the crowd. If they had a crowd, I figured that they had a crowd for a reason, that they were popular, that they had good food. If the restaurant was empty, I just kept going. There's no need to eat in an empty restaurant. No one wants to eat in an empty restaurant. You want to eat where there's there's life, where there's people, where there's action. So if they play these games in front of empty arenas, I'm sure it's something that people would watch just because we've been deprived of sports for as long as we have. I'm sure it's something that, that people would take great interest in. But there would be something missing from the point of view of the fan. There would just not be something there. And it's hard to describe until you see it. You know when this happens sometimes? College football has, I don't know, 912 bowl games. And some of them are very good. You get the the top two uh, teams in the country or the top four teams in the country playing one another. You get these regional rivalries where you get a team from the ACC versus a team from the SEC or the Pac-12 versus, I don't know, the SEC, another big conference. And there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of interest. 
But every once in a while, you have these just horrific bowl games in places you would never want to go to. And they have them not because they're going to pack a stadium. They know they're going to play in front of an empty stadium. They have them strictly so there's something to play on TV. Because if there's anything that we've learned from sports ratings over the last several decades, it's that ESPN and Fox Sports and all of these channels that play sports see a spike in ratings whenever there's live programming. Whenever there's a live event, people tune in. And it doesn't matter if it's a college bowl game that you have no interest in or it's a baseball game in August with two teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. If it's something that's live, it's an event that's happening right in front of your face, and it's something that really can't be rerun or won't be rerun, who's going to watch that game? Who's going to watch the Idaho Potato Bowl for a second time? People tune in. And so that's the theory behind having these games in front of empty stadiums, empty arenas. But there's so much more to the entire operation of running one of these sports teams than just the players and the referees and the cameramen. If they play in empty arenas, that means there's no need for people who work at the concession stands. That means there's no need for people who work in the parking department. That means there's no need for people who take your tickets. That means there's no need for a lot of security guards and ushers. And so they can operate with a skeleton crew, and those people miss out. They won't be going back to work. So if you work in that world and you're not a player making millions of dollars, or you're not a broadcaster, I guess the broadcasters will continue to get paid and continue to work, then you're out of luck. And what happens when one of the players tests positive? That's what they tried at March Madness. That's what they tried at the end of last season uh, for a lot of these sports. And then you ended up with players testing positive. And then they freaked out and they just shut the whole thing down. Well, what's to say that won't happen again? So my take on this is to just have it in front of an audience, have it in front of a crowd, and tell people, look, if you're in one of these categories that's at risk, stay home. We'll broadcast the games on TV. We'll put them on the Internet. We'll put it on the radio. You can follow your team. You can watch the games. You can pay attention to to the games. You can read about them. You can do everything that you want to do except come to the games if you feel like it would put your health in jeopardy. But if you're willing to roll the dice, by all means, come down and come to the arena and watch the games. That's a fair trade-off. That's a fair assessment. But for things like that to happen, one of the things that needs to 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 go down in Sacramento and probably Washington, D.C. and other state capitals around the country is that there needs to be tort reform. Arenas, public venues, private businesses need to have some assurance that they're not going to be sued and they're not going to be taken for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, if someone tests positive and blames them. Because that's what a lot of them are afraid of right now. They're afraid of the liability. They're afraid of better call Saul coming after them 
and saying, you're responsible for Millie getting coronavirus. And you have to pay up. Millie thought she was safe going to the Dallas Mavericks game, and lo and behold, she tested positive. They have to find a way to fix that. And by the way, that's not just true for professional sports teams. That's also true for small businesses. If you own a restaurant and your customers are elderly or some of your customers have underlying health conditions, you have to have some sort of assurance that if they get sick when they're in your restaurant, you're not going to take the blame and you're not going to assume the liability. They need guidance. This is one of the few things that state governments and the federal government should do. They should let these people know just exactly what they can do to protect themselves legally. Because as of now, I haven't seen much of that. And I guess sports in front of empty audiences is better than no sports at all. But there's just going to be a whole lot that's missing. All right. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up. Don't go anywhere. Armstrong and Getty Show. Positive Sean here. Jack and Joe getting an early start on their much-deserved Memorial Day weekend uh, festivities, enjoyment, spending time with their families, and yet somehow filling in all four of their shoes. We're joined by John Phillips. Hey, John. Hey there. Good morning. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty on loan from Talk Radio 790-KABC in Los Angeles. Now, Positive Sean, I don't know if you've seen... This New York Magazine profile of Joe Biden, what life is like for Joe Biden campaigning during a pandemic from his house in Delaware. Did you happen to see that? I did not, but I'm assuming there's a large amount of pudding involved. Yes. He's stuck at his house with his wife, Jill, Dr. Jill Biden. And I guess there are two aides that are allowed to go inside the house and see him. But that's it. No one else is there. It's him, his wife, and two aides. So I'm picturing a setup where they're like the grandparents in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. (laughs) They're just in bed the whole time. And every time he goes on TV, and it's almost always a friendly interview. It's MSNBC, it's CNN, it's one of the Sunday shows, what have you. It's a train wreck. It's a bunch of geese fighting in the background. It's his internet connection going dead. It's a cell phone going off. It's him reading an answer from a book that he can't read, and he stumbles through it. There's always some sort of calamity. It's like an episode of Three's Company. There's always something that goes wrong. And you can't help but to watch these these cable news hits from his house in Delaware and think, This guy is losing his marbles. There's just something not right with him. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not even someone who's been an extra on ER. So I can't diagnose it for sure. But I can look at him on TV and say, that man's not well. And I bet you I'm not the only one who's watching these TV hits and saying the same thing to himself. I bet you... There's a guy in Sacramento who is the biggest 
purchaser of hair gel in the state who's watching these TV hits saying the same thing. And, of course, I'm talking about Gavin Newsom. Because Gavin Newsom is acting in very strange ways for someone who's a governor of a state. Not long ago, he traveled to New York, and he did hits on the late-night shows. He did Seth Meyers. He did a hit on The View where they just fawned over him the entire time. And he's doing MSNBC this morning. And every time I see a tweet saying Gavin Newsom's going to show up on some national show, I say to myself, is he running the state or is he opening up another edition of the Fast and Furious? Because that's the type of schedule you keep when you're opening a movie. It's not the type of schedule you keep when you're wrestling with the state legislature over things like the budget. And this morning was a very telling hit. And who knows what he said, because it's it's usually not useful information anyway. But he's just putting his mug out there. And the question becomes, if you're the governor of California, and you're the governor of a state that is entirely in the Pacific time zone, why are you going on cable at 6 a.m.? Unless you're selling QVC or something. Who in California is watching that? Now, people are in their cars. They're commuting to their jobs. We have to work a long time to pay his taxes. People, I guess, have the local news on as they're flipping their omelets. They're certainly not getting their kids ready for school anymore. So there's no need for that. But who's watching MSNBC at 6 o'clock in the morning Pacific time? The answer is no one. The people who are watching MSNBC at 6 o'clock in the morning are people in New York and Washington. If you're the governor of California, they are theoretically not your constituency. They can't vote in California elections They can't be delegates at California political party conventions. They are theoretically irrelevant. But not if you have higher aspirations. Not if there's something that you're thinking about that's beyond the California governorship. And there's only so many places you can go from being governor of California. You can be, I guess, a U.S. Senator from California. Some people make that jump, although usually it's the other way around. Pete Wilson was a Senator from California who left that job to be Governor of California. So I don't think he has any interest in the U.S. Senate. Joe Biden has said that he's going to pick a woman to be his Vice Presidential nominee. We know that short list. So Gavin Newsom would be aced out of that. Gavin Newsom is not an attorney, so it's not like he can be attorney general. It's not like he can be nominated to the Supreme Court. That's not in the cards. So why is it that Gavin Newsom keeps getting booked on these shows and attempts to raise his national profile at this point in time when the state is dealing with a pandemic? And the answer, in my estimation is that Gavin Newsom 
thinks that Joe Biden may not be the Democratic nominee after all. Maybe Joe Biden will get caught in some kind of scandal that brings him down. Tara Reid has alleged that he sexually assaulted her. That story's kind of disappeared. But if more evidence comes out about that, that could potentially be a problem for him. Joe Biden's also almost 80 years old. And as we've been hearing over and over and over again, people over a certain age need to really worry about their health during this pandemic. And they're going to great lengths to keep people away from him so that he's not exposed to anything. Gavin Newsom is a guy who's very ambitious. Before he was governor, he was lieutenant governor. Before he was lieutenant governor, he was mayor of San Francisco. Before he was mayor of San Francisco, he was on the San Francisco County Board of Supervisors. He is a guy who wants to go places in politics. He is a guy who wants to be president. I don't think it's any accident that he's doing these national shows, but time will tell. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Three more hours coming up. Armstrong and Getty.